This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Maxwood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at NewbieRemoteConf.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a My Ruby Story. Uh, this week, we're talking to Jordan Hudgens. Now, this is kind of fun because this is the first interview I've done where Jordan's going to come on the show, and we're doing this before he actually comes on the show. So, uh, yeah, you'll kind of get a taste for him. And then, yeah, keep an eye out uh, in probably a few weeks to a month because he'll be on an episode then and we'll be talking about metaprogramming. Uh, Jordan, do you want to give us a brief introduction then? Yes, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me on this show and on the future metaprogramming one. Uh, I'm My name is Jordan, as you already mentioned. I'm, I'm the uh, lead instructor for Bottega, and we're a code school based in Salt Lake or in Lehigh, Utah, right outside of Salt Lake City, and also in Phoenix, Arizona. Very cool. Yeah, I know my way around Lehigh pretty well. So <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, I, I live and work in Lehigh, considering I work yeah. out of my house. So <laughs> anyway, uh, that's awesome. So yeah, so uh, we we thought we'd bring you on and uh, kind of capture your story, get your experience becoming a programmer and then i'd really love to hear a little bit more about being an instructor for a, a boot camp or education company or you know however that works whatever you call yourselves over there yes no absolutely so yeah so the first question is how did you get into programming Okay, so I got into programming a little bit kind of in a weird way. I It all started back when I was 12, and back then, computers were not quite as uh, pervasive as they are now, and I wanted a computer more than anything else in the universe, and at the same time, my dad was starting a business. He's a professional baseball coach, and he was starting an instructional business on teaching people how to play baseball called hitting.com and they were doing it on a budget. And so they didn't have money, especially back then to, you know, pay a web designer or programmer to build out the website. And so they told me if I did all the work for them, they would buy me the computer. And so I essentially just kind of you know, muddled through as much HTML documentation as I could back, you know, this is over 20 years ago, and uh, <laughs> figured out enough to, to build the world's ugliest website. And, uh, and so that's, that's how it started. I did that for a number of years. And that kind of evolved when I was started when I was about 16, I started building slightly more you know, slightly better types of applications. Uh, I taught myself PHP and started building a little bit more dynamic type of apps and and started doing consulting for uh -huh. other companies. That's funny. Folks, we finally found a prodigy. He was doing web development at 12. 
I would definitely, if anyone actually saw what I did, they would definitely not call me a prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because people have this idea that, you know, you basically have to come into it the way that you did in order to get there. And I've had so many people on these shows that didn't. And I, you know, I just kind of, I, I had to kind of call it out. Hey, look, you know, there's somebody that was actually, you know, <laughs> essentially professionally writing code at 12, but. Yep. Yep. Yeah, just not well, but yeah, it was a, uh, it, it was a fun way to get into it. Yep. So yeah, so you, uh, you get into that, you get into PHP. What's your journey into Ruby look like? Yeah. So with, as I got further and further, I started building some much more non-trivial kinds of applications. I focused a lot in the energy sector. So mm -hmm. I did work for companies like Chevron and Oxy and these type of guys. And I was building these apps out and I really was not, I got to a point where I really wasn't enjoying what I was doing on a daily basis. I'd kind of built out my own little PHP framework and mm -hmm. it was very, it was about as ugly as you could probably imagine from a you know code organization standpoint. And I knew that something wasn't right with it. I felt like it, there was a better world out there and the development side. And so I started researching it and tried a number of different options, you know, tried Java with Spring, tried, you know, tried a, a lot of the things that are out there. And as soon as I saw and started building in Ruby, even just some very trivial types of apps, I just fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. It had such a clean syntax, Rails development, it really lived up to what its goal was, which was to aid in developer happiness. And I found myself actually loving life again and loving to build apps and getting to come into work each day. And um, so I fell in love with that. And uh, you're, that was, I want to say about five, six years ago or so. And I just haven't looked back after that. I, uh, now pretty much uh, all of the development I do is in Ruby rails and then you know, a few JavaScript frameworks as well. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, I kind of came in the same way You know, it was, I had played with PHP and it was, Oh, okay. You know, I kind of get what this is about. And I, you know, I did a little bit of building this and that. And then, um, I got into a position where I had to build something real and I wound up working in rails and it was like, Oh wow. Yeah. This gets a lot of crap out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And it, it's, it's a really, it was an interesting way of doing it. And I spoke, I, I speak with a lot of developers that also kind of had a similar way in and there were some benefits to it. You know, there were some things like you, if, you've never had to build your own SQL queries, you know, coming in and seeing active record looks like magic. Yeah. Things like that. But, you know, so being able to have, you know, having to go through those kind of war stories early on, uh, it makes you really appreciate how much better life has gotten on the development side. Yeah. And, and what, what kinds of things have you done with Ruby? Yeah. Uh, mainly I focused on web applications. So, uh, after I switched and really focused all of my work on Ruby development, I've worked as a contractor for Quip, which uh, they were they're that the toothbrush uh, subscription service. They won the 
2016 top 25 invention uh, by Time Magazine. That, so I built out their e-commerce platform. Oh, wow. I've, I've done contract work for Eventbrite uh, mm-hmm. for one of their Ruby microservices. And then a number of other companies. And then in the past, about a year and a half ago, I pretty much quit everything in order to launch DevCamp. So I bought the domain name devcamp.com and I decided to uh, kind of launch my own learning platform. And so uh, a a big thing for me uh, in learning is I've discovered a very long time ago that the way that I learn best is by teaching. And mm-hmm. so about, and I, I know I'm not the only one that, you know, that that's a very common thing and but I've really embraced that. And so about the around about 2013, I started building courses. And so I built courses for myself that I published, self-published on platforms like Udemy, but I also have been hired. So I've built uh, some rails courses for the Flatiron school out in New York and some of those guys. And so a lot of my time each day, the time that doesn't go to development goes to, uh, it goes to building out courses for other people. Yep. So, so I'm curious as we go into talking about, uh, the boot, the boot camper, I can't believe devcamp.com was available. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was, <laughs> You know, it was so funny. I I had been building out courses for years and I was driving down the road one day and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to look up GoDaddy and see if devcamp.com is available because I wanted to launch my own LMS. And I looked and it wasn't available, available, but it was on the market and it was on the market for something I for a price point I could afford. Mm-hmm. And so it uh, I was very surprised. That's funny. It's it's interesting, you know, I've I've done a few things where it's like, oh yeah, I'd really like that domain. And so yeah. I go off for a hundred bucks and they're like, no, we want like fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have higher expectations on the uh the domain. They think it's more like real estate. Yeah. The other one that, that made me laugh was the other day I was uh, grabbing the domain jsdevsummit.com because I'm going to put okay. on, I've been putting on online conferences and I'm kind of switching over to the summit style where there are three or four talks during the day and, you know, we, we'll just do it over like a week. That's and awesome. I also decided to make them free and then people can pay for all access passes or you can pay because you're grateful that I'm putting on a conference, whatever. And so, yeah, so I put in jsdevsummit and I'm like, who has this domain? <laughs> and then I'm sitting there for a minute and I'm like, I'm the only person that I can think of that might register this. And so I went and looked in Hover and sure enough, it was my domain, but it had the make offer <laughs> button right there. <laughs> so I could have offered start- to buy it for myself. You could have started a bidding war with yourself. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome. Yeah. So anyway, uh, funny stuff. So yeah, yeah, so it seems like there are a lot of dev boot camp, you know, educational companies out there you know yes. what were you hoping to do with this what what makes you different from them well uh, part of where the inspiration was is because i have worked for and written curriculum for some of those boot camps 
Mm-hmm. And so there were things, there were very specific things that I felt were important as a developer because I came from the side of being a developer, having my own consulting shop where I would hire developers. And there were just a lot of skills that I knew were necessary that just were not being taught at many of the camps. So things like, yeah, some things on the computer science side, like algorithms and data structures and having an understanding of those. But then also a lot of things on more of the soft skill and like project management, Mm -hmm. estimation, and you're also going into a few of the other realms like machine learning or UML. I just did not see those in the curriculum. And I understand that, you know, when you have a boot camp that is only three to four months long, you can only fit so many things into that time and you have to make a decision on what you're going to do. But I had some very strong opinions on what I felt a true job centric kind of curriculum should be focused on. And so that's, that's why I wanted to start my own. And one thing that we do, uh, that I think is relatively unique is we have a, a pretty large network of hiring partners all across the country. Mm-hmm. And with that network, a lot of them are senior developers, and instead of us just creating curriculum and you know saying you know i think this is my idea of what you know a student needs to learn what we do is we build when we're planning on launching a new course we actually will build out our own outline and say these are the things we're going to teach in it and then we send it out to that network of hiring partners and we say for this topic what is an ideal candidate look like to you? You know, what kinds of skills do they learn? And, you know, what kind of things do you want to get from them? And then what usually happens is that outline we send out, we just send out a Google Doc with it, and it comes back and it's about twice as long as the one we originally came up with. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, that, which is awesome. I mean, there's a uh, there, it's a, it's very cool to see, and we have some people, some partners who really care about it, and it makes sense because the better student and developer that we can give them, the happier they're going to be, and the better it's going to work for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, um, and I think I, I have to agree with you on a lot of the the things that you're saying about some of the boot camps in the sense that you know they kind of go out there and they promise people, hey, look. You know, you're going to graduate with a job or you're going to graduate, you know, job ready. And then, yeah, what they're putting out there doesn't actually prepare people for, you know, a real life job. And I don't know, you know, they they may have taught them Rails or taught them Angular or taught them both. But then when they get into the job, it's like they either don't have the skills that they actually need or they have all the technical skills, but they can't actually do the job because they can't communicate. They can't use git they can't you know stuff like that right yeah no absolutely and and one other thing that we've also noticed and it's something that we've addressed is we're one of the only accredited boot camps out there and part of that is we don't uh, one issue i saw with a lot of the boot camps Mm -hmm. is they take you they take the student through the program they're done with their 12 weeks and they just kind of kick them out the door and say you know good luck with everything And we actually have a two-year computer science path that is mapped to 
have uh, it's mapped to what you do if you went through a computer science curriculum at a university. So oh, you wow. learn about you learn about all of those. And we've actually partnered. We've had several universities come to us and they are they're taking our curriculum and they're teaching it in their schools because mm-hmm. we can move we can move a little bit faster than you know the traditional CS kind of path. So they are learning Rails five instead of you know Java that was you know version you know seven years ago that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so it, it, they like it because it's a it's a lot more relevant and it's something that their students will have a much better. A much better job coming out of it as compared to something with archaic type of curriculum. But we see it as we are, you know, our student success is our success. And so if our students go out and they show that they are head and shoulders above some of the other boot camp graduates, then that's really good for us. So we dedicate a very large portion of our time, not just in what we teach them, but also the ongoing training we give them after they leave. Gotcha. So I guess the other thing that I'm, I wonder about sometimes with this, and I, I have this conversation with people, is what do you feel like the skills are then that people need in order to be able to go out and actually do this job? One of the things, that's a great question, because that's something I've struggled with for years, not just as a instructor, but also as a developer, is, you know, what, and I, I had actually, it's funny, it reminds me of a panel that you had on Ruby Rogues that was the episode talking about what makes a great developer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I, I, that was one of my favorite episodes. And I, I agreed with a lot was being said. And I would put my, what my two cents is on that is problem solving is what I have come to kind of find is one of the biggest things. And I know right. problem solving can sound very vague and saying, oh, yeah, you know, that obviously being able to figure out how to solve problems is an important thing. But if you have the ability to take a some type of challenge and, you know, as developers, we face new challenges every day. And if you have the ability to essentially dissect that challenge and to put a plan in place in that, then you're going to be in a much better position as a developer compared with someone who just kind of stares at their screen, having no idea what to do next. And so what we've done practically is we actually have a problem solving course that that's all it does. And we, so in the course, we present a number of challenges and we say, how exactly would you build this? And we don't even go straight into code. We actually, that's where we leverage tools like UML. So Mm -hmm. we can create visual representation. So say that we're teaching someone who's never built an approval engine before. We say, look, this is a state machine and this is a state machine diagram and shows how you can build all of that. You can watch for edge cases and essentially take a very practical approach to solving a problem because that, that's one of the biggest issues that pretty much every bootcamp student and graduate I've ever met has is they feel like, okay, I know how to do the things that you taught at school. But as soon as you get out in the real world, you're going to be tasked with things that you were had never even heard of in so many, you know, in the during the coursework. And so being able to essentially build a mental framework for problem solving, to me is one of the most important things that we can give to students. Awesome. 
Now, you know, you've mentioned that you've worked on some of these curricula and that you're you're doing this kind of work now in the education space. So do you feel like this is kind of your biggest contribution to Ruby? Or do you feel like you've contributed in other ways that you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that's what my focus has been. I've done I, I've done a few things on like the open source side. I have a few Ruby gems that were mainly made just for internal projects that we opened up. Um, so I I try to do some things on there and contribute how I can. But mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to you, I only have a certain amount of time every single day available, and so teaching is really where I've kind of picked that to be. And one of, one of the things that I struggled with for years when I was uh, doing development by itself is even if I was doing well financially and getting a lot done is at the end of the day, I still kind of had the feeling in the back of my mind, like I wasn't really making a huge difference. So I hadn't really found that you know, the one thing that, uh, that made me feel like I was contributing not only to Ruby, but just to the universe in general. Mm-hmm. And when I started teaching and especially when I started teaching on the boot camp side and started seeing students who were bus drivers who came in and had ever made over minimum wage. And as soon as they graduated and, and, you know, they worked their tail off, they were making 50, 60 grand a year. It completely changed their lives and it changed it definitely for the better. I felt like I had finally found a way where I was, you know, making my own little dent in the universe as it Mm -hmm. were. And so that's the reason why, you know, I, I, I love coming to work every day, getting to, the students that I get to work with, because I've, I've done a little adjunct teaching at some universities. And when I go give a lecture there, compared with when I give a lecture here at a boot camp, the just the way that the students interact is so much different. You know, when I go and I'll give a lecture at a computer science class, it's like they're just half of them are dozing off. No one's really mm-hmm. paying attention. It's it's just there's not that engagement. But when I do it here with the students, I mean, they are just hanging on every word. You know, they these are students that have given up three to four to month, three or four months out of their entire life in order to uh, to dive in and and to learn a completely new skill. And so it, it's a it's incredibly rewarding. So that's a reason why you know, on the contribution side, that's pretty much where all my time, free time goes. Uh, and, and it pretty much all the plans I have future wise really revolve around that. Yeah. It's something that I identify with as well. I mean, I've had people come to me and basically say, Hey, I've listened to the podcast for years and you know, same kind of thing. I felt like I could contribute to code in a particular way. Or, you know, the things that you talked about in the podcast made me confident enough to make a career change, you know, and the right. same kind of thing, right? Where yep. they were doing a construction job for 10 bucks an hour, and now they're writing code for 60 grand a year. And yep. I mean, that's a that's a 3x, <laughs> you know, their salary. <laughs> right. Right. And and yeah. yeah, and so yeah, it's the same thing for me, you know, it's just, you know, that's where I'm doubling down is making more content and trying to put stuff out there that people can 
can get excited about. And so I, I totally hear what you're saying there because that's the payoff, right? It's, Hey, look, you know, I may not change the world, but I change that person's world. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to me, that's a, uh, it's a very good reason to get up every morning. Yep. Absolutely. So what are you working on now? Anything uh, well, new coming up? Yeah, mainly working on, uh, so I do still spend a decent amount of time developing. And right now, the majority of that's focused on the LMS, so devcamp.com. And so I'm adding each day, I'm trying to add a few new features to that. We have a lot, we have a few really big things planned for it, mainly really revolving around implementing machine learning into the educational experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's going to be our biggest thing from a product perspective is what we're working on. And I think that could help a lot um, when it comes to how students learn. And so that that's something I'm very passionate about. And then also we're we're getting ready to release a number of other tracks. So right now we only have our full stack development track where we teach Ruby, we teach uh, Rails, we teach uh, the other things I talked about, like algorithms, computer science, and, and we we incorporate uh, Angular and some JavaScript into it. So really full stack, but we are getting ready to branch out and we're going to have a .NET enterprise track and uh, some other ones that are even more specific to you know, other kinds mm-hmm. of markets. So that that's the other thing I'm working on right now. So when you say you're adding machine learning, is that adding machine learning to the LMS or is it adding a machine learning course or courses to your offering? Uh, actually, both. <laughs> we're, we, are get, <laughs> nice. we are getting, yeah, yeah, it kind of works hand Score. in hand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it works nicely because I'm building out the courses and also implementing it into the system. So the things that I'll be teaching are real world examples. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I love doing whenever I'm teaching is I don't like giving, I, I like staying away from abstract kind of thought patterns because I don't think the students really connect with those well. They seem to really like real world examples. So mm-hmm. whenever I'll implement a new feature on DevCamp, I go and show them in the code. This is how I added the feature. And you can see this is you know how it translated in what you're going through every day. And so the same thing with machine learning. We are yeah, that that's a big part of our mm-hmm. you know kind of product launch plan is related to you know how we can implement that in how the students learn and but then also we will be adding that to the curriculum. So then I have to ask, are you doing machine learning stuff with Ruby? That is a uh, that's always the uh, the question. And so I will give a few answers on it. Yes, I there is a part of it that is Ruby related. Ruby is not famous for its machine learning libraries, but it nope. actually I bought 3 yeah. books and they're all Python. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's it's really funny because I so I went to RailsConf this past year or uh-huh. a few months ago, and it I went to every machine learning talk that they had, and literally every single one was in Python at RailsConf. Oh wow! Which, yes, which I thought was really weird, but you know it kind of also went with DHHs keynote talking about using the right tool for the job, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I, I understood it to a certain degree, but 
I will say there are some great machine learning libraries in Ruby. You know, you have the um, a few of them that I've actually written about. I've put into the curriculum uh, or like the decision tree library. The decision tree library works just fantastically well. You can train the system and it can go out and give you what the result you'd need the same way you would in one of the Python libraries. And especially in the newer versions of Ruby with all the speed improvements, I've seen really good success with it. And so all what I'll do is I will, and I like the fact that I can, you know, just spin up a new microservice that only deals with one type of script, and then I can just send it, start a background job, and it returns the result I'm looking for. So, I mean, it, it it's really fine. So, I, I'll say that I am using Ruby for a few machine learning things, and then but there will be a bulk of it as well that will be done in Python mm-hmm. just because it, it is hard to it's hard to compete with all of the different libraries that Python has available. And also when it comes to the way that at least the way I build my applications, a lot of them are very service based. So it's really not that hard to go and, you know, send a request off to a Flask application, have it return back result. And, you know, I've kind of got the best of both worlds. Cool. Well, let's see how many more tangents we can fit into this show. (laughs) It's been really fun and really interesting, though. And, yeah, I would love to dig into some of this stuff for Rubyists in particular. And I've I've done this rant on the JavaScript podcast that I produce, and so I may as well do it here, too. I think, honestly (laughs) think, that artificial intelligence in many of its forms, including machine learning, are a big part of, of where we're heading with technology. And so I, I agree hundred percent. In fact, I was having this conversation after scouts last night with my other scout leader, who's also a programmer. Okay. <laughs> He's a Swift programmer, but anyway, oh. um, yeah, so we, we were just talking about it and I feel like there's kind of the trifecta of things that we're heading toward and it's artificial intelligence, augmented reality and IOT. And yep. I, I honestly feel like it's not just because any one of them is going to take off but they all interplay with each other in order to enhance our experience in the world. And so, you know, we have IoT with sensors and with actuators, you know, which are things that affect the world. And then a lot of those sensors are going to feed back into machine learning systems that then tell those actuators what they need to do. And the way that we interact with our world in particular is going to be a blend of IoT and augmented reality. And so whether we interact through augmented reality stuff or whether, you know, we simply uh, view the world through different lenses, literally, with augmented reality, it's all going to tie back together. And we, we get some of that. I've, I've tried telling people that your phone is an augmented reality device. You just have to pick it up and turn it on in order to get the <laughs> AR out of it, right? Because right, it, right. it tells you about all the things around you. And as we get more IoT in your home and around your environment and in your body and wherever else we're going to put it you know that that's going to be so much more important and eventually we're going to want to reduce the friction of pulling the phone out of your pocket yes no absolutely and it's it's all really coming together and machine learning i almost see as kind of a glue that 
uh, allows just for the data to mm-hmm. really start making the decisions. A, a great example is I have a wearable that I use for, it helps me for my, uh, I, I compete in triathlons mm-hmm. and I have uh, before I never would really know, you know, am I getting enough rest? Uh, you know, what did I work out too hard or not enough? That kind mm-hmm. of thing. This wearable I have actually picks up all kinds of data sensors about me as I sleep, as I, you know, go out, everything. And it tells me what type of workout I should be doing that day just based off the biometric data that it's picking up. And it's using machine learning algorithms in order to make those decisions. And so, I, yeah, no, I agree completely. And it's very cool to see that you know, kind of that connection between humans and technology just getting mm-hmm. closer and closer and hopefully helping us improve life instead of, you know, the opposite. Yep. Well, and, you know, the way that you described it, it's the glue which I, I think kind of downplays the role that uh, machine learning has, but it's also kind of the superpower, right? Because there's no yep. way to know the proper things about all that data without yep. something like machine learning. Absolutely. Yeah. None, none of that would be necessary. None of it would be possible if you, you know, tried to hard code all of that into some type of program. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to go on historical data and have a system that can make intelligent decisions about that. Right. Anyway, so yeah, let's see. The five questions are, how did you get into programming? How did you get into Ruby? We talked about your contributions to the community, uh, what you're working on now. So the last thing is picks. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon... We'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parlay. That's rubyrogues.com slash P-A-R-L-E-Y. So do you have some yeah. things you want to shout out about? You've listened to the show, so you know what picks are, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say uh, I hate being you know self-promoting or anything like that at all. But uh, yeah, so I mean... A, a big thing is just kind of what we're doing right now uh, on on DevCamp and Bottega side. And so, you know, anybody interested in that and, you know, getting to learn about what we're doing and anyone has an interest in it, yeah, that would really be, uh, that'd be one of my main ones. And then for outside picks, one thing I... I it's rare that I'll get an opportunity to, you know, with a larger audience to you know, point people to pe- uh, to other different services and people who've helped me a ton. And so in addition to listening to shows like Ruby Rogues that I've listened to for a number of years now and being able to learn a lot from the other developers you've brought on, I always do want to give a shout out to, uh, to Avdi Grimm and the Ruby Tapas platform. I can't thank him and uh, everything that he does enough for the Ruby community. Uh, if I were to pick probably one guy that I've uh, been influenced the most from, I'd say he would definitely be one of them. So those, those would be mine that I'd pick out. Awesome. 
Well, if people want to check out uh, the Bottega or you know DevCamp.com, I mean, is is that the pl- best place to do that? Yep, Dev DevCamp.com is the LMS, and uh, Bottega.tech is the website for the uh, for the actual code school. Gotcha. And then, what about you? Do you tweet or you know post to a yep. blog or GitHub or? Yes, I uh, all all of the above. I tweet from at Jordan Hudgens. I have a blog. At, I have a few blogs, but the main one is at Crondos.com. And uh, then my GitHub, uh, pretty much all of my accounts are Jordan Hudgens. So same thing with GitHub. Very cool. Did I do picks? Nope. I, I'm supposed to do picks too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I'm putting together Ruby Dev Summit, and it'll be in October. Some people were excited about Ruby Remote Conf, and I, the remote conference setup just didn't seem to work very well for me. Um, it, it was always on the verge, and then it just wouldn't. Um, so I've decided to do something a little bit different. Um, this will actually come out, I think, the week that Ruby De- uh, Remote Conf was supposed to come out. And, and let me just explain really quickly, because I know some people are going to be wondering. Um, essentially, the way that I was doing it, it was is I would reach out to all of our past guests, and I would invite them to submit talks. And, you know, that worked for the first couple of years, but I think they've been getting a lot of invitations to submit talks. And the other thing is, is that it's it's online, and so some of them are a little bit hesitant about it. The other thing is, is that um, since I could never give numbers as far as, you know, how many people are going to show up, it was harder for me to get some of the people that people actually wanted to hear. So I decided to switch it up and I'm going to do this summit and it's going to be in October. I've already reached out to a few people. I've gotten um, tentative yeses from a few people that you all have definitely heard of, but I don't want to announce anything until I have an, a, a firm commitment from them. But yeah, I assume that there are probably going to be hundreds of people coming because it's going to be free. So I'm not charging for tickets anymore. If you want the videos after the conference, you you have to pay for an all-access all pass to get that. But we're also going to have a Slack room and a few other goodies, probably do a roundtable chat or two uh, with people who get the all-access pass. So anyway, kind of changing that up and making it uh, something different. And the setup that I'm using for that, I'll just pick those things, even though they're all PHP and WordPress. I'm using WordPress. I found a theme on themeforest.net called Summit, and so I'm using that. And then I'm using MemberPress to allow people to sign up. And you'll get all your notifications from Drip. That's drip.co. So those are all the tools that I'm using there. And then um, one other thing, and this is another thing that I think I've failed to really communicate to people what exactly I've got, but Ruby Rogues Parlay is a forum that we've had for a long time, and it just kind of turned into a ghost town. Uh, There are a few reasons for that. I think mostly circumstances changed, and Online forums just aren't as hot as they were. And then, you know, I'd get busy and other people get busy. And so we weren't there to kind of drive the conversation along. Well, I'm on Slack all the time. And so uh, I went ahead and set up a Slack room. And I've talked to a bunch of people who aren't near tech hubs. And they don't feel like they really have good opportunities to connect with people. By the way, if you don't think you're near a tech hub, go look on meetup.com and make sure. Because I've surprised a number of people by saying, Oh, but there's one right here in this town. Is that near you? And they're like, yeah, that's five minutes away. So uh, go check that out at meetup.com. But if you can't find one, that's kind of what I'm setting up here. So 
I'm doing more than just a Slack room. I'm actually going to be using the money that people pay to be part of the community to invite speakers to come talk to us every month. And so I'm hoping to get people like Uncle Bob or Matt's or somebody else just to come in and talk and I'll pay them to come talk um, or you'll pay them to come talk, however you want to look at that. But the other thing is, is that I'm also looking to do some roundtable, just roundtable chats with people. And so, you know, we can all hop on and ask each other questions and present issues that we're having on a Zoom hangout, which you can have up to like 20 or 30 people in. So anyway, I I really want to create this community. I'm hoping that the people who feel like they're kind of on the outside of the tech community because of where they live or what's available to them or the night that their local meetup actually meets, they feel like they can come to this because they don't have to travel or do anything extra to get in other than pay 10 bucks a month to be part of the community. That's awesome. No, that that seems like that's going to be a really good, uh, a really good community. Yep. I, I, I hope so. And I, I really, I really, you know, it's just hard to know what to stay current on. And you go to the conference and you hear, you know, 10 things that you want to try out. And by the time you get home, you've forgotten half of them. And so this <laughs> is kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a call out every month. Hey, look, we're talking about this and, you know, hopefully it'll help. And, you know, we'll have the conversations in the roundtable chat and that'll give me ideas. Oh, well, maybe I should bring in this person who knows a lot about that. And so, we'll yeah, see. no, that that's so helpful. It, it was having things like that. Not really. Obviously, that wouldn't run, but just having uh, those kind of tools are so great for the people that are in areas where the community isn't huge. When mm-hmm. I was living in West Texas, I didn't meet another Ruby developer the entire time I was out there. Oh, wow. And so. So being able to have access to a online community like that is uh, that's invaluable. Yep. Well, a lot of people can't make it out to conferences, and I'm sure that's where you got some of that when you were living exactly. out there. Exactly. So. Anyway, sorry to plug all my stuff, but that's that's what I've been working on lately. So, and then one other thing is is that I do have a couple of sponsor spots open. So if anyone listening to this knows of a company that uses Ruby or is, you know, could do with some marketing toward Ruby developers or JavaScript developers, I would very much like to talk to them. So if you just email me and either do an introduction or just let me know who the company is and I can look them up on my own, that would be great. And I guess we'll end it there. Go check out devcamp.com. That's just a great domain, dude. And (laughs) we'll wrap this up and we'll catch everyone next week. Thanks so much. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.